of Only the Penitent Shall Pass podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth. Once again, joined by my good friend, Master John Fellis. Good day. In our new temporary studio. We, we have many studios. In the no longer free state of Michigan. Yes, where we are under some sort of dictatorial rule, if you haven't heard. Please send help. As always, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it when you share our episode with your friends, neighbors, family, and your enemies. We love everyone to listen. You can find our website at onlythepenitent.com, where after every episode, through the magic of the internet, our app uploads the new episode. I don't even have to do it. I figured out the format last week. (laughs) And you can email us at onlythepenitent.com. iCloud.com. Today's episode is titled The Last Men or The Last Man? The Last Men, The Last Man. Um, Well, maybe it's The Last Man because we're kind of just sort of stealing a concept from a really evil philosopher. Frederick Nietzsche from the 19th century hated God. He did. Hated Jesus Christ. Uh, Whether he actually believed in that God existed or not is up for debate. Uh, he's well known for coining the phrase uh, that man killed God. Yes. And he's been the subject of much Christian commentary for the last hundred years or so. Much of the 20th century, was, uh, Nietzsche was dominated in Christian philosophy because a lot of people believe much of modernity's problems are rooted in Nietzsche's thoughts and philosophy. That's up for debate, too, whether these ideas originated in Nietzsche. But what we can say is he definitely is a good point of reference. Yeah, definitely. A good point of reference for examining problems of modernity. So, what we're going to look at tonight is his story uh, about what he believed was the option of humanity in the future, right? He thought, I'm going to give you a couple different options, either, and one of the options is totally absurd. It's, It's men who choose a horrible life, right? Well, yeah, um... Well, there's two options, right? So there's the the Superman, which is absurd because man can't actually evolve into a higher being or something, right? The Superman would be people who believe that humans can strive towards utopia. It's all the socialists, it's all the millennials, it's all the Antifa, all the BLM, all the people rioting and protesting the streets that believe utopia is around the corner, and if we upend society, then humanity's going to be going to become perfect. There'll be no more racism. There'll be there'll be no more sexism. There'll be no more negatives. Everything will be perfect, and that's an element of what Nietzsche called the Superman. 
people right. who become perfect. Right, but he actually, it's, it's funny because he hated socialism, right? Um, maybe even more than Christianity, it's hard to say. Um, so all the, the people running around in the streets, he would call them spiders or something like that. That was the metaphor he used used for that um but yeah it's it's funny like so Nietzsche spiders and Nietzsche superman which is i don't know it's hard to say what this would actually be they're all yeah this utopian concept that man's going to evolve to the next stage right so whatever we are to the monkey right so will the we be to the superman right some something along those lines he says um so Nietzsche so Nietzsche says okay if you're if you're not going to become perfect if mankind is not going to re- reach a utopia, then he gives this other alternative in his in his story, the last men, and and the, the last man or last men. The other option is what in the la- oh um, is the last man right? Is that yeah, yeah. right? Um, so basically, in you know Nietzsche being a a good German philosopher. He's always talking about goals. Like we have to set goals, right? Um, so for Nietzsche, the last man is the man who has no goals, right? He really doesn't believe in anything. You know, beliefs are just merely values in the way you get a good value when you go buy something at a store, right? You know, oh man, maybe I'll be a socialist Tuesday and then next Thursday, you know, maybe I'll try Buddhism, right? That's a Chesterton joke, right? But that's kind of what I think he has in mind, where there's really just nothing left to your life. The basis sort of pleasure. Um, you may, the last man may say, like, oh, well, I'm a family man, right? But it's clear he doesn't even really care about his family, right? Um, so as, as a Christian, there's things in all different way, walks of life that we can respect, even if that, as a Christian that's not how we're supposed to live our lives, right? So when you read about, let's say, Alexander the Great, we might say, oh, wow, this guy was really impressive. But we definitely shouldn't go around trying to conquer the world or something, right? Um, But there's still some we respect, where the last man, there's just nothing you can respect in him. There's just nothing left there. In in fact, in the the story, The Last Man by Nietzsche, uh, Zerath... How do you say it? Zarathustra. It's, it's been so long since I read it. Zarathustra. I should have read it more recently, so I'm working off of old. old it's okay. Memory. I unfortunately <laughs> I've read it several times, and it's Zarathustra. Insane. So Zarathustra offers the last man the the option, uh, and Zarathustra's goal in Nietzsche's novel is to offer the last man something so disgusting that he won't choose it. That that the people will choose something else. But what do they what do they say? <laughs> they say they say no no make us this last man and we'll make you the Superman or something along those lines. Yeah. And, and so the reason we're bringing this story this story of Nietzsche's up is because this is sort of what we're seeing play out before us in the streets right now. We're seeing people who are rioting, people who are burning down buildings, over. Uh, Yesterday or the day before, the mayor of Portland joined the rioters in lighting, attempting to burn down a federal building. The mayor of Portland, I'm going to say that again, attempted to burn down the federal building and was shot with tear gas by the police. And we have this segment of society who are choosing something 
entirely disgusting. They're choosing rioting, social chaos, attacking Christians, attacking conservatives, attacking pro-life people. They're literally choosing something disgusting and they want it. On the other hand, what we're seeing outside of this radical element, we're seeing a Christian society, a suburban Christian society, a country Christian society, who's also appears to be choosing something rather disgusting. They're choosing willful silence. And this is what John and I have been talking about for the last few episodes, is what's confusing us is as the government outlaws hymn singing in church, as the government closes down church services, as the government makes it illegal for us to put our hands on the sick and pray for them, the Christian evangelical response has been silence and obedience to this evil government orders. And the last man by Nietzsche popped up into our heads because we're thinking, well, this is a disgusting choice, right? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, reading stuff like Nietzsche, it's a good exercise as a Christian because you look at the world and it's very confusing. And so someone like Nietzsche, um, although like I don't, you know, I spent many years reading him, I don't hesitate to say the guy's evil. He's a very good philosopher and he knows exactly what's going on. And so you can read his book and you can look and see, oh, wow. So you hear people talk about Christian values. You hear people talk about conservative values and say what really matters. But when the cards are down on the table, they're like, ah, no, I'm really just here for myself. You know, um, and that's very troubling. And then you, well, you wonder, well, what? You're like, well, geez, if so Nietzsche's describing this very worldly phenomena and it seems to be very, very much present in the church, right? And so if you're listening to this and you feel offended, I mean, I guess maybe that's a good thing because we're trying to say, we're, we, I mean, I guess we're trying to compel people towards a more authentic form of Christianity, right? So the last man, like you, there has to be something in life you strive for. Hopefully as a Christian, it's holiness, you know, it's faith, right? It's community, right? Um, but again, like, I mean, I guess we this message is kind of for anybody who's listening where it's like, geez, if the only thing you believe in is like paying your mortgage, if that's all you got, there's really no reason to even stay alive. I mean, God bless you nonetheless, but like, what's the point? Why are you doing it? The For those who have a Presbyterian background like myself, a Reformed background, the first question in the Westminster Confession is, what is the chief end of man? To which the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And the, ex the expository uh, uh, understanding of that would be that by glorifying God, by worshiping God, we actually receive delight, right? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So through worship, through studying God's word, through seeking the truth, the logos, by understanding truth, by, by just seeking the things of a higher nature, it results in a delight in our joy. 
that's where true joy is. Um, that's, that's why we read in scriptures, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Uh, so, so as a Christian, our chief end is not to pay our mortgage, though that's important. You have a family, you got to take care of a family. Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And when we see a church that in the midst of crisis responds with silence, which responds to dictatorial orders from a pagan government to not do communion, to not sing hymns to God, to cover your face at, at worship services. This is so detestable to us, we don't even know what to say sometimes, right? Some, some of our conversations, we're sitting there, we, we can't even find the words to express how absurd this all is. Well, yeah, I mean, I almost want to go out like beyond that to the people out there. If you're listening and maybe you're, you're not a Christian or you're, you haven't, you know, you're honestly haven't been practicing the faith and say, like, if you're living a life, you know, that they say that the last man is Homer Simpson or something, right? So if you're Homer Simpson and you're listening to this, um, there actually is a deeper meaning you can follow. Right. Because right now it seems like unless you join Antifa or Black Lives Matter, there's really nothing for you to be doing. And that's completely false. Right. I mean, look, what you know, look what we're doing. You know, we weren't podcasters before all this started. Right. Um, that was sort of the spark. We talked about it, but that was sort of the spark that like, you know, you know, kindled the flame. It's like, all right, we have to say something. Right. Um, so you can like seek right seek and you will find knock and the door will be open but for the sake of all that is good don't just keep living your life the way you were exactly the way you were because look where that has gotten us right anybody who's like i just want to carry on the way it was it's like well wait so you want you just want all this crazy stuff to happen again right um I mean, is there really no correlation between the socialist kids running around in the streets and the way they were raised? Well, where, where were they raised? Almost exclusively in the upper-income suburbs. Okay, how were they raised? Subi suburban mediocrity, right? Where did they go to school? Um, oh, leftist universities. So if your plan is to say, oh, I'm going to keep living in the suburbs and the suburbs, we're going to keep everything it is and we're going to send them the same leftist institutions. Do you think we're going to get another result in the future? Absolutely not, right? So please, I mean, it's hard to admit that, oh, maybe things didn't go that well or, you know, but like now is the time to do it because everyone's confused. Everybody's wrong. We're wrong. You're wrong. We're all wrong, right? So let's figure out how we can do something right. Maybe. So there's a key, there's a sentence you said in there that I think is key. If you're living the same way as you were living prior to 2020, then, you, then, then people need to re-examine their lifestyle. Because it was the lifestyle of the church. And I, 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 it's kind of annoying to use the term, the, the, the symbol lifestyle and church in the same sentence, but I think people understand what I mean by that. If, if you're living the same lifestyle as you were prior to 2020, well, that is the problem. The problem is the church 
in 2019 and, and before was not living as the church victorious. The church was not living the way we truly should, or else the faithlessness that we've seen in the church wouldn't have occurred. The church wouldn't have closed. The church wouldn't have stopped administering communion. The church wouldn't have stopped praying for the sick. But because the church was living improperly in 2019, and perhaps years and decades prior, I think so. That is why in 2020, the church has has been shown to be faithless. The visible church. Paul says there's always a remnant. We are not saying the church doesn't exist. There's always a remnant. But the visible church, the buildings you see, the services you see, prior to 2020, they clearly were not living the proper uh, lifestyle of Christianity. They weren't living out true Christianity. I'll borrow Francis Schaeffer's, Francis Schaeffer's phrase. They weren't living out true Christianity. When it comes to community, when it comes to, to true worship, when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to fill in the blank, there was a total lack of, of true Christianity in the visible church. And in 2020, it was exposed. And now we can authoritatively say, you need to change your lifestyle. We are. I'm reexamining everything. I'm reexamining how I live my daily life. I'm reexamining where I live. Uh, I'm reexamining who I associate with. Everything has to be reexamined because the church was not living according to God's calling because the church has failed. Arguably, this is the most miserable failure I've seen in my lifetime. Yeah, which is... Which is, you know, it's because we're Christians, it's a good thing. Because when we fail, it's actually going to get right. better in the long run. That's right. So I guess we keep, yeah, so, I mean. We're not. We're not trying to be doom and gloom here. We're not. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm not filled with despair. It's the exact opposite. I'm filled with hope. Because in the midst of tragedy, uh, as, as Paul says, count it all joy. When, when temptations come, when bad things come, I count it all joy. When, when, when struggles come and tribulations come, I count it all joy. It's not a fake happiness. I hate the word happiness. I really, actually, I, tr I truly do hate it <laughs> because it's, it's literal origins is not even a good origins. Uh, for those who don't know, the, the word happy is rooted in the concept of luck. It's, mm -hmm. it's not, the word happy is not rooted in the concept of joy. Uh, the, in, in the old world, uh, old world being a few hundred years ago, uh, happy meant uh, you, you wish someone good luck as though the pagan gods would give them good fortune. The Christians didn't, didn't talk about happiness. In the Bible, we don't talk about happiness. We talk about blessedness because blessedness is something that God does to us. Mm -hmm. It's not something that occurs through luck because there is no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as chance as the scientists want to try and tell you. Uh, but God blesses his people. He fills us with joy. And that, 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 that could manifest itself through, we might, we might visibly look sad, but we could still be joyful. Right. Yeah, and this is so like, like going back to our theme, I think this is the last man. They want to be happy. 
Right. But, you know, if you go back, you read Aristotle, it's like, well, the happy man needs all these things. He needs, he, you know, he needs great deeds. He needs lots of friends. You know, he needs lots of riches. Like, Aristotle, like, goes through the whole gambit of things the truly happy man would have. And then he has to have these things until he dies the day he dies, right? So even when you look at the old Greek philosophers, you're like, okay, I understand that. We as Christians, we choose another way. But sure, from a worldly point of view, yeah, that's the happy man. But now happiness is slowly being reduced to just like this bizarre feeling, like a passion you occasionally get, almost like a drug where like you're just constantly looking for that next happiness high or something like that. And that, folks, is one of the most debased ways you can live your life as a human, right? So if you look, obviously, if you read the Bible, it should be very clear. But I think I've been, I've sat in not a few sermons where I more or less thought the priest was saying just that. Like, he's saying, like, yeah, let's all try to be happy and positive. Um, and I just like to, like, where's that in the scripture? As, that? as a Christian, we want to reject uh, paganism, we want to reject atheism and false teaching, and scripture does not teach us to seek happiness. It actually teaches the exact opposite. It teaches the Christian, and I'll quote, I'll quote scripture, it says, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. We're not supposed to seek happiness, but we're supposed to be, uh, be present with the Holy Spirit in whatever the situation calls for. Sometimes it's mourning. Right. Sometimes it's rejoicing. Uh, in a time of, of such as this bizarre pandemic, this, this, this bizarre situation, it calls for seriousness. It calls yes. for Christians to stop uh, playing uh, light games and to sit down and say, okay, just like the prophet says in the Old Testament, let us calm down. Let us come reason together. Let's talk this through seriously and, and figure out what we need to change, what needs to be fixed, what needs to be altered, if we need to repent, if we need to turn from our wicked ways. So seeking happiness is what the world does. That's what the person does who goes in and gets a pharmaceutical drug to get them high so they don't have to have anxiety, to get them high so they don't have to be depressed. We reject that. God bless all of you who've taken pharmaceuticals. We ask that you re-examine that because uh, we, don't, we don't prescribe to that, do we? No, well, no, I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, we did a whole episode on this. That's right, right. So we did. If you go back, you know, we can get to the nitty gritty, but I think maybe what's relevant for this conversation is, um, one, some of your depression and anxiety is something you should legitimately feel because while the world is kind of depressing, um, you know, and anxiety is maybe like a warning signal kind of saying like, oh yeah, maybe you don't have a good life. Maybe you should attempt to change your life, right? So if you're just taking the drugs, you're ignoring what's in your heart, which is this deeper desire for something more. And let, and let, this let me, is why the, the and, last... Oh, go and, on. and let me reassert my, my credentials because I can speak authoritatively on right, the subject yeah. of psychopharmaceuticals. I have a master's degree, a master's certification in uh, psychopharmaceutical chemical addictions counseling. I have my master's degree where I studied the biological origin of diseases, infectious diseases, and chemical addictions, and chemical uh, pharmaceuticals. And I'm currently working on my PhD. 
So we're not we're not peop, we're not uh, two jabronis off the sidewalk <laughs> who haven't studied this at the master's and PhD level. Uh, we're serious students of all of these topics within the liberal arts, right? I mean, I think that's what some people use. They'll say, "Well, this 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 person doesn't have the credentials to speak on the topic." You and I purposely sought higher degrees. We said a bachelor degree isn't even enough. We have to keep pursuing degrees so we can speak both authoritatively from a biblical, pers uh, biblical perspective and so we can speak authoritatively from a scientific perspective. Right, but see, that's... And that's the thing, but we don't even, as Christians, we're not supposed to care that much about worldly honors. <laughs> right. So, like, we don't even care, it's just... We're living in the world, so we both have master's degrees, and it's like, all right, that's what you need. But I'll use this word again. For us studying, you know, science, philosophy, history, these things are a lifestyle. We do it every day. We discuss it every day. And if somebody else wants to learn from us, we just go ahead and talk to them about it, right? We don't have to hold, a, we have like, a special chair to teach others or to learn from others. Right. Um, I think that's the important thing that the last man, he says, oh, well, why don't we just give everyone special papers and then we'll all be special boys. Right. Or something like that. And it's like, no, like, why don't you actually um, think good thoughts with your mind and speak beautiful words with your mouth? Right. Oh, no, we go. Cool. No, but I have a paper that says everything <laughs> I say is great. Right. And I mean, if we really, if we re-examine this now in the light of what, say, Harvard's doing, wait, you're going to teach everyone online? Um, I have a buddy who just, he just started a online teaching job. He's like, he's like, John, I don't have to do anything. It's all programmed, and they use these scientific models of efficiency, and th that's not real education. That's education for the last man, right? And it creates their ilk, the spiders that crawl around the streets smashing things. Right. Um, what what the kids right now who are being subjected to this absurd lifestyle because of the coronavirus pandemic, what are they going to be like in 15 years? What are they going to think of their parents who say, you know, right. Oh, I just want to go to the playground. Oh, sorry, you can't go to the playground because less than one percent of people may die from this disease. What? What What do you, you really what? are those kids going to be like? I mean, really think this what, through. What, what are those children's perception of Christian men going to be like when the Christian men don't take their family to church because a atheist or pagan bureaucrat told them not to do it? That So so I want to read, we're close to the end here, we're running out of room, but I want to read uh, from Revelations. Uh, Every Christian should know this verse right off the top of their head from Revelations chapter 3. Uh, Jesus, through the Apostle John, writes, I know your works. He says this to the, to the church. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And that's one of the very first verses I can remember memorizing as a five-year-old. I heard it so many times throughout my church for... Uh, church life growing up from different pastors and, and ministers and 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 it, it takes root in your heart that if you're a Christian you don't want to be lukewarm you want to be either hot or cold 
And that's what Corona has exposed. It exposed a church that wasn't on fire for Christ. It, it exposed a church that when a, disease, when a disease, whether it's fake or real, came along, when an atheist or pagan governor came along and said, stop worshiping God together, stop assembling together, which we are commanded to do in Scripture, the church folded. The church stayed home. They called it in. They said, well, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just do something over the internet. Well, if you really, if you think about it, I mean, there's a couple different ways you could interpret that, right? Where, um, I guess one of the ways is where, well, there's hot Christians and there's lukewarm Christians, then there's everybody else in the world who's cold, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe by cold, it means people that are Christians who are, you know, um, very, very low in spirit. Like it, spirit, it almost, yeah. it almost seems like there's more hope for communists well, than there are, than there are for the lukewarm Christians. It seems like there's more yeah. hope for these evil governors who hate Christianity than there are for the fake or lukewarm Christians. And they may not even be fake. They they could be Christians that believe in God. They could be Christians that believe in Jesus Christ. They could even believe that Jesus is is returning again. But as we see in the parable of the foolish virgins and the wise virgins. It's not enough to believe that God exists. The demons believe that God exists. In fact, believing that God exists really only qualifies you to be a demon. It doesn't even qualify you to be a Christian. (laughs) The demons were present during the crucifixion and resurrection. They saw Christ in his resurrected body. Mm -hmm. They know that Christ lives that he is there and he is not silent. So it's not enough to even know that Christ is the Son of God, that he was resurrected on on Easter Sunday. All that does is qualify you to be a demon. (laughs) So, so, So do you want to be the last man in Nietzsche? Do you want to be the man that chooses the disgusting, decadent thing or do you want to choose Christ? And is, isn't that what it says in the scripture? Choose you this day whom you shall follow. Are you, wait, so are you saying that there's people that are sitting in their homes right now and they believe, and they believe that Jesus is Lord, but, God, but it's actually better for the Antifa and the street smashing things? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it is. Well, and that's, what does Jesus say? Oh, Better for Sodom and Gomorrah than that town. That's right. So we're a bunch of godless pagans who are doing nothing but drinking and having orgies and the most vile things you could imagine. They're actually going to be judged less harshly than the people of Israel. Than the lukewarm Christians. Right. Yeah. Than the lukewarm Christians that believe in God, that believe Jesus is, is the Son of God, that believe Jesus was resurrected. The people in Sodom and Gomorrah, the Antifa, they will be judged less severely. Right. And that's why we're being so serious. They'll actually, the Antifa folk, they might enjoy hell, right? But I don't know, lukewarm, I don't think, yeah. With that, <laughs> with that, at that, it's a strange place to end. Oh, let's end it right there. That's perfect. Strange place to end, but, the, but we, we ran out of time. You can, again, you can email us at onlythepenitent at iCloud.com. We love, uh, your emails. You can find us on the web at www.onlythepenitent.com. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.